I'm Mindy Bear, and you are listening to the Follow Your Dream podcast by Robert Miller. Everyone has a dream. Robert Miller is a musician who had a dream to become a rock star. He followed his dream and he succeeded. If you're ready to pursue and succeed at your dream, then listen up and get inspired and motivated to take action today. Welcome to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Follow Your Dream podcast. My name is Robert Miller. I am your host. And you know, most people struggle to find one dream that they can succeed at in life. My guest today has succeeded at multiple dreams, and we're going to talk all about that. But one of her dreams was to become a dancer, and she became a professional dancer. And I'm really thrilled about that for one reason in particular. You know, I like to feature a song of mine in each episode, and I try to make the song relevant to my guest or at least to the subject. So today's song that you're hearing underneath this introduction and you'll hear at the end is called Juliet Dances, which I wrote for my granddaughter. And I was waiting for the right guest in order to feature this song because I really love the song. And if you'd like a free download of this song, all you need to do is go to followyourdreampodcast.com slash roadmap hyphen song. This song is on the album East Side Sessions by my band Project Grand Slam. And I have a special offer for you. If you go to the pgsstore.com and purchase any of our albums, including East Side Sessions, I'll give you a second album for free. Just enter the code PODCAST at checkout. So today, my guest is Shannon Marie Rugani, a.k.a. Empress. Shannon has had an incredible career so far. I am so impressed. She's a professional dancer. She was with the San Francisco Ballet for 10 years. Then somehow she pivoted and became a Broadway star of the musical An American in Paris. And now she's a professional musician and uh, a composer as well. And she plays the piano. And we're going to talk about all of that. So uh, a triple threat lady, Shannon Marie Rugani. Welcome, please, to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I mean, you have to start with me from the beginning. Were you always looking to become a dancer when you were young? Was that your first love? I, I actually think my very first love was music. And I always had this connection with music to the point where I had to dance to it, which is how my parents kind of, you know, I was the oldest child and I was a girl. And so what do you do with little girls is you sign them up for ballet class. <laughs> and <laughs> I just happened to be really pretty good at it at a young age. And I think that being good at something kind of develops the ego, <laughs> the ego kicks in pretty young and you go, oh, I'm really good at this. This is what I want to do for a living. But actually before all of that being said, I was given, and I love that, that this is the Follow Your Dreams podcast, because I was given this assignment from my mother when I was seven years old to write down my dreams and goals in life. And I wrote three things. I was very, very concise on my dreams. I wanted to be a ballerina. I wanted to be an actress and I wanted to be a singer. And no one in my family has ever 
really been any of those things. I didn't have a role model. I grew up in a small town in Lake Tahoe, South Lake Tahoe, and there's really no dance training. There's no ballet company. There's no really, you know, music scene there. So it was, it was kind of random. My parents kind of thought, how the heck did she get ballerina? <laughs> so, so you plotted out your entire life at age seven. Is that what yeah. you're saying? Yes, that's what I'm saying. It was my original roadmap. It was pretty vague. You know, you say you say ballerina, it means a lot of things to people. And and it just, I think whenever I think about dreaming, I go back to my seven-year-old self and I go, okay, well, how would she dream? And then I kind of now knowing what I know now, I, I ask myself, am I dreaming big enough when I'm now, you know, thinking of new things to do? I go, well, am I big? Because I know that if you dream and you put the effort into the dreams, um, they can manifest into reality. And uh, the, the trick is, am I dreaming big enough? You know, ask yourself. <laughs> Boy, you said it so well. You know, I have this theory that basically everybody has a dream. And when they start out life, when they're younger, the dreams tend to be bigger. Okay. Yeah. People, people want to be, if you know, you're a boy, you want to be a baseball player or you want to be an astronaut or girls, you know, might want to do exactly what you had the dream to do. But, you know, so many people never get to that because life gets in the way. They just, you know, find out that they're doing something else. They fall into it or whatever, but you followed those specific dreams. Yeah. I mean, that's the amazing part of this whole thing. It's it, to me, looking back, it really is impressive you know, and not trying to toot my own horn, but there's no one that was like leading me to do this. I, I just knew I wanted to do it. There's a lot of naysayers saying that this isn't possible. Why would you ever, you know, think whatever, all the things that I've been told over the course of my career, you know, there's a lot of things that I just had to put my blinders on and earplugs in and just focus on what I knew I could achieve. And, you know, there's so many ways to succeed. So, so like focusing on, on being a ballerina, I knew I was going to be a ballerina. It didn't have to be in the biggest ballet company. That wouldn't have meant the biggest success, but, but the dream kept getting clearer and clearer as I got closer and closer to the target, you know? So when I was about 13, I think I've, I read this article about a girl who was in San Francisco ballet when she was 16. And there's this beautiful picture of her. And, and I remember thinking, oh, we kind of look the same. She had you know, blue eyes and brown hair. And we had the same kind of feet and body type. And I thought, oh, I could do that. That'd be cool. And San Francisco's not too far from home. So maybe that would be a good place for me. And that was kind of when I decided, okay, San Francisco ballet might be the place. And my parents were so cute. They actually took me not to see San Francisco ballet, just to see the building. Um, one day we were, we were there for Thanksgiving. Actually, this is all coming back to me because it, it was so, it was so amazing that my parents supported me so much because they had no idea what they were doing either. <laughs> so they stopped on the side of the road in front of the opera house in San Francisco. We were there for Thanksgiving with my grandparents and they allowed me, the, the building was locked up, but we looked in the windows and I remember peeking in and thinking, wow, this is where I'm going to work someday. Oh my <laughs> gosh, you know, and then I got all of these like free, you know, programs and pamphlets and stuff. And I just remembered studying them and looking at them. And what was really cool about all of that is that was my home for 15 years was like that, that entire building. I knew every nook and cranny and I knew all the ushers and all of the orchestra members and the crew. And 
even the cleaning crew guys, I knew everyone and um, all the dancers that I had pictures of in those pamphlets I danced with, or I'd understudy them or, you know, like it was pretty cool actually. This is crazy. Tell me what's the transit you, you went from being a, a, a little girl in the car with your parents, you're yeah. seeing the building. How did you get to be with the San Francisco ballet? Okay. This is when, you know, that stars line up and I fell into the right you know, time and place, but my mom and I really didn't know what we were doing, but I had always these like fairy godmothers around me where I'd have a dance teacher that would say, you know, you should go to this audition. And I would go to the audition and, you know, I got accepted into San Francisco ballet school summer intensive, and it was a full merit scholarship. And this was for me a huge deal because I was from a big, I was a big fish in a little pond. And so, of course, I was always the best dancer in my small town, but that didn't mean anything when you went to a big city where people basically, once they crawl, they can go to ballet school and get really great training. So I didn't really have training, proper training. Um, and so for me to get a full merit scholarship to the summer intensive, first of all, it was an easy choice for my parents because it was free. So go ahead, go <laughs> ahead. <laughs> and I ended up going and I didn't realize that when you go to any summer intensive, the it's about five weeks, six weeks, somewhere around there. And it's an audition. That's that's like the audition to get into the year round program. And when you get and I, I got accepted into the year round program. How old were you at this time? 14. Oh. Um, and so they my parents were really like worried about letting me go move to a big city. So what I ended up doing was I moved in with my grandparents who were about an hour and a half away out um, in Silicon Valley. And I would take the Cal train into the city and then a bus across town. And then I'd walk a few blocks and then I'd get to ballet school and it was an hour and a half one way. So I was going three hour commute just to go to ballet class every day. At 14. Um, at 14, just insane. But you know, here's the other thing too. I, because I was so focused on, and I knew what I wanted, nothing mattered. It was like, I was, I was safe because I knew that I was going to be in San Francisco ballet. And, you know, I was very driven always. And I kind of, you know, I was more mature for my age because of the fact that I was always in dance classes when I was in Tahoe, I was always like, you know, seven years old dancing with 18 year olds. And so that was another thing that catapults your, um, you know, it's not like I was mature for my age, but I, I, got more mature than than the average seven-year-old because my best friends were like 17, 18, 50-year-old teachers. You know what I mean? I was definitely hanging around different different types of pe people. And I was homeschooled. So, you know, I, my mom was really good about car rides were all people skills, self-help tapes, you know, how to win friends, influence people. So it was, it was pretty funny because all I wanted to do was listen to music and my mom would just, you know, be playing Napoleon Hill audiobooks. <laughs> and so I had a little bit of an extra, you know, like I understood how people personalities worked and things. Um, at least that that helped me in that transition. But when I was um, 16, I was invited to join the San Francisco Ballet Company. And I remember the day so clearly, because I wasn't expecting it. Um, I thought I was going to get uh, into this, this train, it's called a trainee program. But instead, I got an apprenticeship, and I will never forget the day that I walk into company class. It was so cool. The girl that I looked at in that picture when I was um, 13 or 14 
that was uh, 16 when she joined the company. And it was this beautiful picture of her. Um, I'll never forget walking into class. That woman had just retired and she was teaching company class. And I got to take her bar spot, which is, you know, there's a lot of politics involved with people love their same spots in the, to warm up in the dress, you know, in um, the rehearsal rooms. And I remember there's no one standing in the spot that I remember seeing her picture in. And I got to hold on to the ballet bar and look in the mirror at myself and think, oh my God, dreams do come true. You know, this is pretty. This is sounding like a Hollywood movie. I have to tell you. (laughs) Okay. So you were, you were a dancer in the ballet company for what, 10 years or so? 11, 11 years. And you traveled outside the country, around the world. Tell us about that. It was amazing. My first um, trip when I was 16, my first tour was uh, Paris. And it was a month long. I mean, I was, I had never gone overseas, by the way, because I was always dancing. There was no um, real time to, to vacation and stuff. And this wasn't necessarily a vacation, but because I was new in the company, I hardly danced on that tour. So I got to go when I wasn't rehearsing which I wasn't rehearsing very much, I would go to the um, the Louvre and, you know, Versailles. I mean, that trip had a huge effect on my life because I just am obsessed with anything French. I'm like a total, you know, Francophile that way. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just a really incredible experience. I got to learn a little bit of French and and kind of live life in Paris. It was, it was really lovely. And, um, and then, you know, we went to places my directors from Iceland and so we went to Iceland for a month and I got to meet the presidents in all these countries I mean it's really ex- when San Francisco Ballet tours we we're treated very well um, and and pretty well received and so it's kind of cool going to China or going to Copenhagen or you know there's places in the U.S. like New York and um, you know we did the Kennedy Center and all kinds of places like that and it was just you know a dream come true because I'd always dreamed of doing all of all of these things in life, and then they just sort of happened. I'm curious, did you ever go to uh, the Bolshoi in Russia? No, I'm so bummed. I've never <laughs> been to Russia. I'm like, I, that's one place that I would love to go. I heard that it's like haunted. There's so many great stories about the the Russian, you know, theaters because there's so much history. You know, the U.S., we have history, but it's like, you know, a couple hundred years. They're like, puff, puff, you know, we've been here for a lot longer than you. <laughs> and, and um, you know, there's there's just so many stories in France and, you know, Russia because they they take ballet in a, in a different. It's just very serious, you know, and so but I did dance with um, people from all over the world. So that was also really cool because for me, I'd only ever met people from my hometown. And then all of a sudden I'm working with international people from every country. I mean, we had the Cubans, the Spaniards, the French, the Russians, the Chinese, the Japanese, the, you know, the South America, everywhere from the the States, Canada. I mean, it was just amazing to have people from all over the world in one place having to work together as one. And that's why I still think San Francisco Ballet is the best company in the world because they actually have so much diversity. Whereas if you go to Russia or France or China, they have schools, they choose you to get into the schools based on your body type and what your family body types look like. And and then they weed you out if you don't have the mental strength to like, and physical strength. And then 
they hire only from the ballet schools. So then it's kind of like this army where you have this training and everybody, um, you know, is so freaking talented because <laughs> they were chosen by their countries, but they don't necessarily always love dancing. It's like, it's more of a prideful thing. Like I'm just perfect. And I was made for this and da da da. Whereas in America, you're like, I just hit the lottery because there's so many things that have to come together in order for it to, to, to become a professional for a dancer to become professional. It's timing. It's the body type. It's getting through puberty and making sure that your body doesn't change in the way that you didn't expect. And, and like coming out the other side and still getting the, the jobs. It's like, you know, but we start it, we start dancing because we love to dance. And then it's a jackpot if we get to do it professionally. Whereas for them, it's like, well, duh, I was the best, you know, person in the country. And of course I'm going to dance, you know, so it's, it's definitely a, a jackpot. And so that's why, again, it's, it was a dream come true for me to be in this, this world. I can it's imagine. Cool. I watched one of your videos that you made a few years ago where you were talking about what your day was like as a dancer. Yes. yes. Would you go through that? Because I found that to be quite illuminating shall we say yeah well i'll tell you probably the busiest day of my career it started at i think 8 a.m i would wake up i'd wake up as late as possible because i love sleeping it is my favorite thing to do i call myself a professional sleeper <laughs> so uh, 8 a.m um and then i would get up i'd get ready really fast I'd go to the studio to or go to the the um probably the studios which is across the street from the theater and I'd do a little exercise, like a little warm up, which by the way, I just released my five minute workout that I developed over the 11 years because I realized you can get a full body workout and get a really, it's really difficult if you do something repetitively for over a minute or a, about a minute. So I made up a five minute workout that I used to do every day sometimes multiple times a day just for cross training. So I just released that. That's called Vixen and it's a killer workout, but it's really great. It literally works out everything from your fingers to your toes. It's awesome. But that took me a long time to develop. I didn't have that when I was um when I was doing my my interview a few years ago. Um but so so I do these workouts to just cross train and then I'd stretch and I'd work out and get ready for, for class. And then we do company class, which is just warm up, and that's an hour and a half. Then you go to rehearsal, usually have three hours of rehearsal and you'll, you could have three hours of the same ballet. But for me, because I was such a multifaceted dancer, I could do classical and contemporary. I could do acting stuff. I was always in a million different ballets. So sometimes I'd be learning four roles within one ballet, which is crazy. And so I'd be in a, a company rehearsal and I'd be working each hour would be a different ballet and sometimes multiple roles in each ballet, which is insane. Then you have lunchtime. Most of the time, my lunch break would be um, me learning a new ballet via videotape. So I take my um, lunch into a rehearsal studio with a you know tv and i just learn a new ballet while i was eating barely eating by the way i was gonna like, ask I, you are you allowed yeah. to eat real food you know <laughs> actually i was a raw foodist in order to keep up with all of the crazy skinny dancers in the world um sadly there's a lot of eating disorders in in the ballet world it's not a big surprise for people but it's it's always interesting when people actually openly talk about it i think because it's it's a big issue um 
I was fired for being, uh, I won't say the F word, the fat word, but um, I didn't fit in with the other girls in the company when I was, I was literally going through my transition from, from, you know, girls to, to becoming a woman around, I think I was 18 or 19. And I didn't quite fit in with the other girls, nor did I fit into most of the costumes anymore. And, um, and my friend Luke was helping his mother who had given three months to live on, um, with her melanoma cancer. Um, and her last resort was to go to raw foods and he did it with her because it was like all of the recipes. It was just a really hard challenge. He got so, I mean, you could see every little vein and nerve. I mean, he's tiny, but he was super strong, felt great. His arthritis um, from his knees and back disappeared. It was amazing. So he told me one day, he goes, I can't keep weight on. You should try this diet. And I was like, sold, you know, fat ballerina <laughs> in the back. So I went raw and it was the best thing ever for my body, for, you know, the reason why I lasted 11 years in a ballet company being so hard on my body physically was because of my, my healthy diet. And so I was constantly eating. I mean, but it was like foods as close to as nature intended them to be as possible, which is, you know, lots of avocados, tons of salads. Like I did all kinds of fun little um, puddings that were like avocado puddings and chocolates and things, you know, there's a lot of fun ways to eat. Now it's easier than it was back then, but um, because you can get all of the same foods that you, you know, slave to make at the grocery store now, like spiralized vegetables. So anyway, long story short, I, um, you know, I would eat probably something super healthy. And, and I was always eating power bars and stuff like the, the raw power bars from Laura. And then I had three more hours of rehearsal and then a three hour performance that night. So I'd take like a 15 minute break, you know, to nap. I was really good at napping. I've always been really good at napping, but 15 minute break for napping before a show. And then I get ready for the show. And then I would ice my feet after every performance. I had my own ice machine. <laughs> Cause it was the only way that you could get your own eyes. And, and then I would go to sleep and start again the next day. I mean, that's, that's one heck of a routine. Yeah. And now that I'm doing music and, you know, even when I was on Broadway, it was like, people always say, Oh, it's really hard. And I'm like, okay, I've been a ballerina and no one knows unless you've done it. No one will ever know how hard it is because within those hours, you're constantly being told to try and be perfect and there's no such thing. So cherry topper and all of that, it's like, they're never going to tell 20 people that they did a good job when one person was out of line. They're going to tell that one person that was out of line that you need to get in line and, and they don't make it, they don't normally say it in a very friendly way. So it's, it's very challenging mentally. And I always said I had loser's amnesia because I, I got through it because I would focus on the positives. Oh, I did such a good job. I did fall, but it was the one little fall, you know? <laughs> you were probably very graceful when you fell too. <laughs> yeah, no, I usually was not graceful. So <laughs> did, you, did you age out of the ballet? What was your no. reason for leaving? That, this is actually really cool because um, a lot of times that does happen is that you age out and you age out very young. You know, it's, it's the, um, I remember telling my director, cause I was hired so young. Um, I technically got old faster because 
everyone just assumed that I was like 18 or 19 when I got hired. And so by the time I was like, you know, in their mind, 25, I was like over the hill. But for me, I was like, I'm still 20, you know, one or 22. And so they would, everyone would just be like, oh, whoa, okay. She's not that old, but she's old. <laughs> um, so the the average lifespan for a dancer in the corps de ballet, a female dancer is around three or four maybe four years. And so I lasted 11 and the, um, the transition happened really effortlessly. And I'm super grateful for this because I was asked to join the, um, America, the cast of an American in Paris on Broadway. And my director ended up letting me take a leave of absence for, I think it was like a six month leave of absence to go do that show. And I was having so much fun on Broadway when I finally transitioned that I, I remembered the phone call. He came to see me in New York and came to the show and was really proud. And I think a few weeks later, I'd got, um, I, I had heard that I was going to be getting the lead role in the show. And so it was a very easy transition for me to just call him up and say, look, I have this great opportunity. And he was like, go for it. I'm really happy for you. Thank you so much. And we parted ways, but it was not because I was aged out or because I couldn't dance anymore or physically was exhausted or something. I was, I was, if anything, I was mentally exhausted from <laughs> the ballet, but not, it had nothing to do with that. It was really great. So you were, I mean, you got the call from somebody on Broadway. I mean, how did that happen? Out okay. of the blue, you get a call to be okay. in a Broadway show? Great question. This is when you know that the stars really do line up for you in life. And, and this is a great reminder for everyone, including myself, that every day is a chance to prepare you for the future. So like your dreams will come together if you know that, you know, the end result is being an actress on Broadway or an actress in a film or something. There's so many things that kind of come together to make that happen that you don't understand until you have hindsight. And so this, this opportunity was really quite a miracle. We did this um, ballet called West Side Story Suite in the ballet, and they had one role. It was Anita that sang uh, America. And so they had the entire ballet company audition for this, this singing role. And we don't get hired to sing. We don't get hired to make noise. So this was like horrifying for everybody. And we, um, you know, everyone sang. No one knew who got the part for a while. And then I got opening night um, for this, this role. And I had to break my silence. Someone who had never sung before, not even happy birthday to my family, had to sing in front of a sold out opera house of 3,500 people. I mean, breaking your silence as a ballerina is scary enough, but doing it in front of a giant opera house is horrifying. So I had this, this role and I sang and at the end I was just like so nervous and cause I, you don't know how the audience is going to react. It could have been like a little like slow clap, you know, awkward <laughs> turned funny. into this real rock star applause, which doesn't happen at the ballet. It's usually a golf clap. And so it was, it was pretty cool you know, my parents were in the audience and I will, I'll never forget. They didn't tell anyone that, that I was their daughter until I got a standing ovation. And like, well, well, then they wanted everybody to know. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Hey, the spotlight <laughs> should be over on me. Um, but so, so I got the standing ovation and that night 
the director for An American of Paris, which is happening in the future, was sitting in the audience. And when he was casting the show, he was looking for ballerinas who could sing. And he remembered me. And that's how I got the job. And this is eight years out. Isn't that crazy? That is a crazy story. But you know I mean, what? Miracles <laughs> happen, right? They really do. And the fact that I found my voice in the ballet is like such a really, it, it doesn't happen. I mean, that's, it's just really crazy because I'd never sung before. I'd always been a composer and I was a closeted, you know, composer because I didn't want people to think that I wasn't focused in the ballet. But, you know, I just, there was always a piano in every studio. And so there was always time for me to doodle and play around. And so I always did that. But when I started singing, I started singing and playing the piano. And then I became a closeted songwriter, singer-songwriter. And I didn't share that with the world until... I went to Broadway and the Broadway world is so loud. I mean, compared to the ballet world, it's like, it was crazy for me to just break my silence and then be in the loudest, first of all, city in the world, New York city, and then be with these people who make noise for a living. And uh, I mean, for me, I was like, just so uncomfortable making noise at first. And I was like, Oh wait, I'm getting used to this. And I'll never forget. I played a song um, for a couple of the cast members and everyone freaked out. You know, who wrote that song? Well, I wrote the song. And, and they're like, well, who like we didn't know you could sing and play and da-da-da. And that was kind of the first time that everyone encouraged me to be a singer. And I had known that I could sing kind of when I was seven, but I was like, not like that. Anyway, it's cool. We are talking here with Shannon Marie Rugani, aka Empress. We're going to get into the Empress thing in just a moment. Before we do, let's listen to a little bit of Lovely I Am by Empress. I may not seem pretty to you, but lovely I am. I may not seem warm or fuzzy on the outside, but inside I am. I try to obey your rules. Don't think You created the monster Don't you see? You can't defeat me Yet we keep playing a game Where I'm set up to lose And you're set up to win Okay, so you, you were like a world-class ballerina Then you get this You're on Broadway You're a world-class Broadway actress Why'd you leave there? Oh, yeah, good question I felt for the first time in my artistic life, that singing and writing my own music was being a true artist. And, and not to, to say that I wasn't a true artist, but I was always doing someone else's choreography. I was always singing someone else's lyrics. I was always acting someone else's life. And I thought, you know, it's time for me to take ownership over my own life. And I created Empress because I felt like for the first time in my career of wearing lots of tiaras, <laughs> you know, in the ballet world and even on Broadway, um, that I was actually building my own kind of crown. I wasn't waiting for somebody else to coronate me. I did it myself. I became sort of like the ruler over my own life. And I thought, how cool would it be to inspire other people to, to learn how to do that in their own way? You know, if it's a fireman creating his own crown as his helmet and like wearing it and, you know, like becoming whatever the ruler over your own life means to you. And 
being a singer songwriter, I'm in the driver's seat or, or I guess a better metaphor would be, I'm the, the artist, I'm the canvas and I'm the paint, you know, and I'm also the frame and I get to do everything that, that, you know, I've always wanted to do in one place, which I like to kind of think of it as building your own empire. And it's not trying to rule over anyone else. It's just your, your little world, you know, but you so, know, music is maybe the most competitive of all the different things that you've ever done. Okay. Yeah. When you talk about your own empire, there's an awful lot of people out there with their own empire and, you know, trying to get discovered, trying to get well-known, trying to make it in music is very hard. And you yes. were already at the top in two other professions. That's what I find <laughs> yeah. so interesting. Right. To like start at, at the bottom of, what do we call that? The um, the bottom of the totem pole in another industry. Yeah, it, it is. It's definitely interesting. But what my mom always told me, and this is just something that, um, that like always comes back is, first of all, there's enough room for everyone to succeed. And two is that cream always rises to the top. And so there, there were two things that always, you know, there were a lot of really great dancers in, in my ballet school and I got hired and I don't know why they didn't, you know, and it's like, there's, I, I, they should have, they were cream, they were rising to the top. So I, I have this sense of, of security, like, okay, well, I know I can succeed. And, and now that there's so many ways to succeed rather than just, you know, one role, like as Juliet in the ballet, it's like, there's only going to be one girl that does that part and a hundred other girls that are waiting in the wings that want to do that part. Whereas for this, it's just, I get to do my own thing and I'm not thinking of it more as competitive. I'm just thinking, okay, well, I want to be, I want to be this and that's what I'm going to do. And then if people like what I'm doing, then they'll find me ish. I mean, of course I'm a go-getter. So there's, there's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of things behind the scenes that, that I'm like making sure that I have good relationships with people, but you know, the music industry is difficult, but nothing will ever be as hard as the ballet. And even Broadway is, is difficult, but it was much easier than the ballet. So tell us how the situation has been evolving for you as Empress. Now you're a musician, you're doing this full-time. Am I correct? Yes, full time. Okay. So how is that going? It's great. It's been really interesting for me because the dreaming process, I really took my time with this because there were a lot of things that I think I I left out as far as dreaming is concerned in the ballet and Broadway because I just didn't know what I was getting into. So when I was seven, when I thought of being a ballerina, I didn't realize there was going to be so many injuries and pain and, and, you know, just the emotional trauma of, of being yelled at constantly. I mean, it's just like, and, and the weight loss and all of this stuff that I had to go through. I didn't, of course, know about any of that, the politics of casting, the politics of whatever, you know, like everything. Um, when you're seven, you don't know any of those things. So then when I went to Broadway, I thought, okay, I want to get to that greener side, the greener, you know, hill, if you will, or pasture. And I got there and I realized, you know, the same things exist over here as they did in the ballet. And, you know, if I don't find happiness from within, I'm never going to find happiness in my, my job. And it, the job always became kind of like my identity. And if I wasn't happy with the job, then my identity was fractured in a way. And so I realized very quickly when I joined the Broadway world, I need to do a better job at dreaming, knowing what I know now. I can't be the seven-year-old dreaming 
vague anymore. I need to know what this means. So for two years, I I was dreaming up what Empress meant. Didn't tell people about Empress for a while. And I was trying different styles of music. I really wanted to know who I was as an artist and figuring me out took a while, you know. And then once I figured it out, and I'm still figuring it out, it's just the evolution of now everything's kind of starting to manifest and come into place. And I have those, the team, you know, of course you have the, the music industry is a murky water. <laughs> that's, that's the first thing <laughs> that's I That's a very nice way to describe it too. <laughs> it's, there's a lot of sharks and they will, you know, find you in this murky water. And so what I think the most important part that I've learned our most important lesson that I've learned in the music industry is have a really good team around you. And it takes time to build that team. But once you kind of find a couple gems, you hold on to them and you um, they start bringing you into their world. And then those good gems meet other good gems and you have to weed some out every once in a while. But for the most part, when I met my producer, it was a friend of a friend and it was um, this guy, Bart Shodell, who works with, you know, the top names in the industry. I mean, everyone from Selena Gomez to Justin Bieber and his Grammy nominations are from Beyonce and Justin Bieber. I mean, it's like crazy. So Lady Gaga and Katy Perry and Chris Martin and all these amazing people who I look up to. And I always thought um, in the ballet and on Broadway, you are who you hang out with. And so if you can start kind of getting relationships going and and build those those professional relationships with these people they're hanging out with the people that I want to be and and so that kind of rubs off you know a little bit on you and so it's always important to choose your in professional life to choose who you want to hang out with by based on I respect and admire what these people are doing professionally and I want to be like this person or that person and so you kind of start just trying to rub elbows with them. And then from there, just they introduce you to their groups and it evolves from there. So I have a really great team around me now. It took a long time, it feels like, but I have a great songwriting partner and producers and, you know, now mentors. And so it's been, for me anyways, it's been a very slow evolution, but it's it's in the right direction at least. <laughs> well, I have no doubt that you'll succeed because you've succeeded at everything else. You know that this is a podcast called Follow Your Dream. It's all about trying to inspire and motivate people to pursue and to succeed at their dream, as you have done and as, as I have done. And I always like to ask my guests on the show, what would be your advice to a dreamer out there, somebody that's got a dream, hasn't pursued it for whatever reason, or has pursued it, but hasn't succeeded at it? What would you say? I would say, it's a great question. I would say to find a formula that works for you. If it, it could be anything, something that you do really well, that you've taught yourself, that you, you've put time into and take that formula and apply it to whatever your dream is. First of all, have a dream, period. <laughs> and because if you don't have a dream, if you don't have intentions behind that dream of what you you know want to accomplish, that's that's good for the greater good of the planet. I think then then you're you know you have to start there. So, but once you have that dream, take something that you're really good. It could be cooking, it could be gardening, it could be you know your job, it could be something you know even exercise that you've put a lot of time and, and energy into and that you've become really good at, and you take that formula and you just apply it. I learned 
learned that very early on in the ballet. If I worked really hard and really smart, then I could succeed. And that formula I've just taken and I've applied it to Broadway and I'm using the same formula to apply it to music and beyond. And my last little piece of advice is to ask yourself constantly throughout the dreaming process, am I dreaming big enough? I agree with that. And uh, I thank you for your words of wisdom. We have been speaking with Shannon Marie Rugani, aka Empress, who has had a remarkable life. She has been a principal dancer. She has been on Broadway. Now she's a professional musician. And uh, if people would like to follow you, what is the best way that they can do so? Well, you can stream my music on all streaming platforms. And everything that you need to know is going to be on my website, which is www.empress-music.com. And you will find all the links to my social media platforms. And you can follow me on whichever ones you like to use and, you know, listen to my music and see my videos. But everything's on my website. That's the way everybody has to be these days. I want to thank you so much for being a guest. Remember to get your complimentary dream roadmap where I lay out my five steps to pursue and succeed at your dream just by going to followyourdreampodcast.com slash dream roadmap. And now we're going to listen again to the song that you heard at the beginning of the episode. It's my song called Juliet Dances. I hope you like it and we'll see you next episode. Thanks for listening to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast so you don't miss another inspiring episode. You can connect with Robert at robert at followyourdreampodcast.com. And you can hear more from his band at projectgrandslam.com and at thepgsstore.com. She hasn't a fear. She gently interprets the music she hears. Juliet dances. Juliet dances. I love when she dances. Juliet dances. I love how she dances. Juliet moves with the greatest of ease She jumps and she twirls on soft bended knees She often pretends like it's all a big tease Juliet dances Juliet dances I love when she dances Juliet dances I love how she dances